Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Before I introduce my guests, as I have been um, talking in the past, I invite you to, if you can do anything to support this podcast and my efforts, please go to iTunes and rate the podcast, write a review. I encourage you to check out my book called Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. It's at Desert Book and Amazon. Appreciate all you that are buying it and sharing it with others. Um, If you have time, please leave a review at Desert Book and Amazon. That helps connect more people with the book. Um, My guest on today's podcast is my friend TJ Thomas. Welcome to the podcast, TJ. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Before my guests come, I kind of introduce the podcast to them and I say this, TJ, this is like you and me going out to lunch and you just telling me your story and me just listening. So that's kind of what we're inviting you to do is just join us for lunch and it'll be a chance for TJ to share his story. We offered a prayer and my prayer before I our prayers that the things that TJ shares about his journey as an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint will be helpful for you. Um, if you're um, an ally, if you're a parent, or if you're LGBTQ, as TJ is walking this road and sharing his um, the personal revelation he's receiving and what he's learning about himself will be helpful for you. And I'm grateful for TJ's, cur- TJ's courage to share his story. I became aware of TJ um, in a in a larger way with a Facebook post he made on um well I printed it out today. When was the day? Do you remember the day of this Facebook post? February 21st. February 21st, 2021. If it's a public post, we'll link to this in the podcast description so that you can read it for yourself. But it starts with I am bisexual and just talks about his journey as a bisexual Latter-day Saint. By way of background, TJ is 29. He grew up in Vegas. He served a mission in Benin, West Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, not many people know of that mission. We had a young man in our area that served in that mission. So it's not a big mission, but it's an area that I'm familiar with a little bit. He um, has a degree from BYU um, in 2017 in English. And then tell our listeners where you went to get graduate work and what you're doing right now. So I got my uh, master's in social work from the University of Southern California. I was actually pretty lucky. I did my whole degree online. And so when COVID hit, I was already really used to doing the online school thing. Um, so yeah, I got my, my MSW um, so that I could become a clinical therapist. And that's what I do full time now. And what kind of clinical therapy do you do? So I mostly do general mental health right now. I have kind of a sprinkling of everything. Um, I deal with um, clients who have... Uh, depression, anxiety, um, some, some, you know, a lot of the more common ones like that. And then some of the more, uh, some of the more intense ones too, like dissociative identity disorder and gender dysphoria and those kind of things. That's great. Mm-hmm. And talk about your future. What would you like to do with your, with your professional career? Um, so I love working with clients one-on-one, but I do think for me, I also really feel called to like more general education kind of stuff. So um, I do a lot of work on Instagram right now um, for just spreading mental health awareness and giving some like free resources for people who can't have access to therapy. Um, and I, you know, I want to go into writing a book and being a speaker, hopefully a podcast of my own sometime, all those kind of things, because I feel like there's, it, it's great when you can get one-on-one help with something, but I just know there's so many people who don't have access to it. So talk about, um, your, where's your Instagram page? Um, that's at TJ Counseling. Um, and so I do, yeah, I just do posts all the time with different thoughts and ideas. I do, uh, at least once a week, I do what I call therapy Thursday, which is, uh, like a little five ish minute video about different mental health topics. It's great. Um, thanks for what you're doing and your vision about the future. There's a huge need for your expertise and, and your ability to help people through, um, your therapy. So go for it. If I put, feel, you know, just go for it. We need what you're doing. Um, Talk about, I assume if I had talked to you on your flight home from Benin, West Africa, you weren't prepared to talk about your sexual orientation at that point. Just talk to us about um, coming to terms with your sexual orientation and sharing that. And you've been on episode 46 of Questions from the Closet. You listeners could check out that episode also. That's Ben Shalotti and Charlie Bird's podcast. But kind of, yeah, just talk about why you decided to share this part about you with others. Sure. Um yeah, there was, I, I was in such deep denial about my sexuality for such a long time. Um, 
And I think part of that is something that I shared on questions from the closet too, is that the closet is kind of bigger when you're by. Um, there's a lot more room to hide um, because you do have an attraction towards girls. So you can like lean on that and you, you can really rely on that. And so um, the parts of myself that I was feeling this attraction towards men, I was, I was, yeah, I was really in denial about it. It was, I had so many justifications for where it was coming from or what it was that were trying so, so, so hard to never admit that it was an actual attraction um, that I was saying, oh, well, it's, it's because, you know, girls, you know, I, I need to save, you know, girls are more sacred than men was one that I said for a while that, you know, women need to be, you know, they're, they're sacred and need to be saved for marriage and all that stuff. And so this attraction I have with guys, it's because it's, oh, well, you know, we're just, we're both guys and it's easier. What, you know, any, anything I could do to not admit to myself or anyone else that it was an actual attraction, um, to just try and explain it away and just push under the rug, say, say it was, you know, I went through this thing of saying it was a phase, even though that's one of the things now that I tell people not to say that I told it to myself. Um, and yeah, pretty much I, I was grasping at straws for years, trying to find a good way to explain this away. Um, until it just, it just got to the point that it was so heavy and such like a tangled web of justifications and, uh, yeah, trying to figure out how I could explain this away. And when I finally was just honest with myself, thanks to the help of a therapist, um, the, a therapist who was one of the reasons I decided to become a therapist was the work I did with my own. Just the, the weight that was lifted when I finally admitted to myself that I was bisexual. And then even beyond that, when I first told my family, and then when I first told some close trusted friends and just like it kept getting easier and easier and lighter and lighter. And so then even getting to that point where it was this really scary decision about whether I should come out publicly because I, I was honestly worried it was going to affect like my job and my career. I, I have a lot of like teenagers that I work with. And unfortunately there's this really, really unfortunate um, idea or stigma or stereotype. I don't know what to call it um, that has somehow linked being gay or bisexual or LGBTQ in general with pedophilia. Um, and I was really worried that I would have moms find out that I was bi and would pull their 16 year old son out of therapy with me because they were worried that I was going to do something. I don't know. And, and I knew that these, these guys that I was working with, like they needed to be there. And I, I could see that it was helping and that they were like improving and finding, finding someone that they could talk to when they couldn't have talked to anyone else. And I really didn't want to do that to them of like, you know, make them get pulled out of, of the good work they were doing. And so there was a lot of these considerations or for a while I thought, um, I thought, you know, well, I'll, I'll wait until I'm married to a woman and then I'll come out as bi because then it'll be acceptable because then, you know, anyone who might have a problem with it will be like, oh, well, yeah, he's bi, but it's okay because he's married to a woman. And then I would still have like the credibility or the trust or whatever else. And I just, I just got so tired of trying to weigh all those considerations and just came to the point where I was like, you know what, this is something that is true and authentic about me. And it's, it's not going to improve the longer I wait, it's not going to get better. Um, so I just decided that it was something that was going to be better both for myself and that I should be caring more about the positive impact that I could have on, especially the young, younger generation and the LGBTQ kids who are members of the church right now is trying to find their place that I could have a way more positive impact on them and helping them find their way and others like me that that would far outweigh any possible negative repercussions that I could have on, on my career or anything else. I, that's a great answer. I, I would, I think it takes a lot of courage. Um, we've done few podcasts with bisexual Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. And the first one we did was somebody who said, you know, there's actually probably a lot of bisexual Latter-day Saints in our stories, like you said, are underrepresented. Mm -hmm. Um, And he helped me understand this is still a big deal to be bisexual. Mm -hmm. And I shouldn't minimize as anybody's experience. And it was very helpful for me. So this podcast is already helpful for me. I like this phrase you use, a tangled web. Mm. (laughs) Um, and you've kind of explained untangling the web, but was there things that that therapist in particular did for you? If you go back to his or her ability to untangle this web that was helpful for you, 
um, it's sort of you helping others untangle their own web that might listen just for a few minutes. Sure. Um, I think one of the most helpful things that I still carry with me today that she taught me is because she was, she was also LDS. And so she was very, she involved the scriptures and spirituality very heavily in, in our sessions. And one of the things that she worked with me on was recognizing that peace is God's litmus test. Um, that, uh, Satan can counterfeit a lot of things. He can counterfeit happiness and he can counterfeit guilt and he can counterfeit a whole lot of stuff. It usually, like you've talked about a lot, it comes up as shame and it comes up as, you know, these, these temporary pleasures and stuff like that, that he can counterfeit, but he can't counterfeit peace. He can't do it. Um, which is, I think why so many scriptures revolve around peace. And I'll tell you in your mind and your heart, like that's that kind of like full peace Satan can't do. Um, and so I never felt peace with any of my justifications. Um, I felt either like mentally satisfied with it or spiritually satisfied with it, but never both. There was always this disconnect. And I, oh, I, yeah, I just felt unsettled that I was like, you know, no, that has to be it because that's what I've been told has to be it. And therefore that just has to be the truth, but I was never at peace. Um, and being able to accept myself for who I am and, and everything that that entails and all of the repercussions of that interestingly brought me a lot of peace, even though there was also a lot of scary stuff that came with it. Um, that it, yeah, it's a weird place to be in when it's, it's terrifying, but you're okay with it. And like, you feel at peace, even though you're also kind of scared. That was a great segment. Thanks. No one's ever talked about peace that way as a way to, re- to receive personal revelation about something is right for them. And maybe they have, and I've just forgotten. That was really good, TJ. That is my personal journey and my own way I get personal revelation and how I know that something feels right to me is peace. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a decision for our children or in a church assignment or in a career, that's the way God answers prayers for me is help me to find peace. And I love that. So talk about was the first level of peace just for you, knowing that this is who you are, you're bisexual? Or did to get peace, did you have to also then, and maybe this is a, you know, you you needed to share this with other people. Why was the, and some people may just find peace and accepting this about themselves without ever sharing it with anybody. But it sounds like you needed to, to talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. Sharing it with others helped tremendously for me. Um, and. And it, I, I think for me, it was the most helpful thing was the, the close family and close friends that I talked to about it because um, as great as, you know, a bunch of Facebook likes or whatever is, it was really, it was really the love and support that I got from those close people who I was, even, even though I knew that they were, you know, loving and that they, they cared about me and stuff, there's always that fear that, you know, oh, well, it's going to change the friendship or they're not going to, they're going to be uncomfortable or whatever. They're not going to want to talk to me anymore. And so having having close friends and family members specifically tell me this changes nothing about our friendship. This is, you are every bit the person that I still want to be with and hang out with and talk to and all that stuff. That was one of the most comforting things because there's such a heavy layer of, of, you know, internalized shame of this. I am broken because of this and I don't even like myself. So how is anyone else going to like me? So there's, there's definitely a lot of peace that comes with the self-acceptance, but yeah, having, people close to me reassure me of that was, was monumental. What did they say that was helpful? Um, I'm, I'm having a, I don't remember specific things, but I do remember, I remember that they were specific. And I think that's, that's usually when I have people ask about this, that's always one of my pieces of advice. If you have a friend or family member who's coming out to you or anything is be specific about how much you love them. Don't just say, I'll always love you because they, they might not know exactly what always means to you. Um, friends who said, um, specifically like this doesn't change anything. I, I want to hang out with you all the time. I still want to talk to you. I don't see you any differently. Or people who say things like no matter who you're dating or what your relationship status or your, or your status with the church, I will always love you and you'll always be welcome in our home and with our kids. That's just like such a, a, a relief. Um, cause there is this really big fear that like, it's kind of, you come out in steps, you know, like, sure. I came out as bisexual, but then if I am dating a guy or if I'm engaged or married to a guy, then I kind of, you know, 
there's this fear that you have to come out to those people again. And, you know, maybe they were okay with you being around them and their family when you just are bisexual or you are gay. But now that you're, you know, quote unquote, acting on it, now do they still love you as much? Now are you still welcome in their home? And that's something that becomes really scary. Um, so yeah, having those specific comments was really, really helpful and knowing that, oh, wow, they're, they really do love me and they really will support me. Even if they disagree with my choices, they'll still love me and let me into their homes and let me be with their kids and all that stuff. To educate our listeners on myths about bisexual people. Ooh, okay. <laughs> um, let's see. First myth, they don't exist. <laughs> um, we do exist. Um, it, it is definitely possible. Being bisexual is not um, pre-gay or gay light or gay in denial <laughs> or any of those other things. Um, it's, it's definitely real. Um, I, I am attracted to both men and women. Um, and I, I know from friends who are bi that I've talked to about it that there is a spectrum of this. Um, for me, I, I do lean more towards guys that like if I am on a dating app, for example, there are more guys that I find attractive enough to want to swipe up on. Um, then, you know, like proportionally, then there are fewer girls that I want to swipe up on, but they are still there. Um, the dates that I've gone on with guys have felt, usually have felt very easy and very comfortable. Um, and that doesn't happen as much with girls, but it does happen. So, um, it's definitely a thing that it's real. Um, for some people, it's the opposite though. I know, um, for some bi bisexual people, it's that they have just a little attraction to the same sex, but they're mostly attracted to the opposite. Um, so that's the first myth. Uh, I think the second would probably be that bisexual people are more likely to be unfaithful. Um, I've heard that, um, that's just absolutely not true. Um, is the premise there, since you have sexual tr attraction to everybody, you're more likely to be unfaithful because you're just, that's, I mean, obviously if you're bisexual, you don't have sexual attraction to everybody. Sure. I don't have sexual attraction to every woman I see. So. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the analogy that I try to use is that like, well, if you're straight and you're married, there's still going to be women that you find attractive, but that doesn't mean you're going to cheat on them right. or cheat with them. And same with being bisexual. Like, sure. If I'm, if I find a woman that I really, really love and I want to marry, sure, there will be guys that I'll be attracted to. But just like a straight person, that doesn't mean I have to cheat just because I'm attracted to someone. Um, I think where this rumor may have kind of gotten its feet going is... Um, and I don't even want to put this, this wide of a blanket on this, but um, may have kind of been started with... Uh, people who probably shouldn't have been married to a woman in the first place um, and who were not as in love with them or as attracted to them as maybe they should have been, um, who then go and do cheat um, and do, you know, sleep with someone of the same sex or whatever. And, and so that kind of uh, stereotype kind of gets brought up. Um, but no, I, I don't think a bisexual person, if you are truly in love and attracted to the person that you're married to, you are no, no more likely to cheat on them than any other straight person if you're truly in love with the person. When someone comes out as bi, some do then come out as gay later. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just talk about that and what we should, how we should treat someone that comes out bi. I don't think that any coming out should ever be like the final say, um, whether that's bi or gay or trans or anything. Um, because figuring out your, who you are in this world is so complicated, especially when you're in an LGBTQ and LDS space. I know that, I know there are some guys who purposefully come out as bi, even though they know they're gay, because they know it'll be easier for other people. Um, they think that it'll be like an easier blow for their family, for example, to be able to say, oh, well, I'm bi, but it's okay. I'm, I'm still dating girls. And then, you know, a couple years later, they come out as gay and it gave their time, their family time to adjust. And I, I, I think it's, I think there's also the case that some people genuinely do think they're bi, um, likely because they've been so conditioned for so long that they have to be attracted to women. So then when it finally, they finally realize more who they are and they realize, no, 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 I'm, I thought I was bi, but I'm not really, I am fully gay. They then have to come out again. Um, I think that says a lot more about the culture that people are coming out in than anything else that they feel like they have to protect someone's feelings by coming out as bi first to cushion the blow or whatever or that they are so concerned about people 
rejecting them if they're fully gay, that bi seems like an easier choice. So I would say if someone comes out as bi, don't question it. Like, don't ask them, oh, well, are you sure you're bi? Are you sure you're not just gay? Because they might actually just be bi or they might be gay, but not ready to fully come out yet. And that is also just adding more pressure on it. Just someone comes out as bi, love them, accept them, celebrate them, like let them, let them be who they are and figure themselves out. And if it takes someone a little bit longer to figure out that they're fully gay, then so be it. And love them and accept them fully at that point too. But I've also seen it kind of go the other way. Like I've, I've got some friends who came out as gay, but they actually identify closer to being bi because, you know, they might say they're more like 90, 10 guys to girls, but um, there's, there's a lot more room for nuance in these labels than, than we like to give credit for, but it's just easier to have a few categories than have to go around all the time saying like, well, I'm bisexual, but I'm 80, 20 men to women. So it's just, it's easier to just have a couple labels, but give people the space to be that label. However, is authentic to them. Um, great answer. Talk about, um, just your relationship with the church. You're 29, you're returned missionary. Talk about your relationship with the church, your your, your hopes for the your future in the church or not in the church. And and another major question is just the revelation you're receiving. And did that increase or decrease once you came out? Yeah. So um, that's like two huge questions. You don't need to take it in that order. Um, well, I'd say the, the quick answer in there is my revelation vastly increased um, after accepting myself and the, starting the process of coming out. Um, so I just so I hear that, your personal revelation from your heavenly parents significantly increased. Significantly. As you were able to come to terms with your sexual orientation and share that with others. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. share with our listeners why you think that happened and some of the revelation you're receiving. I think part of it is something that I've heard you discuss with other guests before that you you just don't have easy answers when when you're LGBTQ and in the church. You don't have an easy roadmap. Um, and you know things that most members rely on or look heavily on things like their patriarchal blessing or or even just like the kind of general checklist that we kind of go through, a lot of it just doesn't apply anymore. And so you, you don't really have a choice. You have to get really, really close with your heavenly father. And there's a lot of, a lot of difficult things that, you know, unfortunate things that have been said, um, by members of the church, whether just general or leaders, um, or, you know, difficult policies that you have to confront. And a lot of things that if you're not, if you're not LGBTQ, you can kind of sidestep it and just kind of leave it as like, oh, well, I'll understand it in the next life. You know, one of those unanswerable question kind of things. But when you're LGBTQ, you you kind of need your answers and you need them like right away. So you're kind of forced to find, find answers that, like I said before, that bring you peace and that really feel like you're close with Heavenly Father. Um, and while I'm on that subject, just as a general word, I like to remind people, don't, don't uh, discount people's personal revelation. Um, if If someone tells you that, Heavenly Father is okay with with what they're doing because they've been really prayerful about it. It's they're not just throwing that out there to try to get past it. They've wrestled with it a lot. And I don't think it's anyone's place to say, you know, unless unless the revelation is telling them to like hurt somebody. Um, I don't think it's anyone's place to say, oh well, well, that that can't be God. You must have been deceived, or that's not true happiness. Like I just feel like there's so many examples in even like even in scripture of like personal revelation that doesn't look quite like it maybe ought to on the outside. I mean, the, the easy one that comes to mind is Nephi literally murdering someone. Like we know that, you know, Nephi, Nephi's famous scripture, the Lord gives no commandment except he shall provide a way that they shall fulfill it. Part of that way for Nephi was killing someone. So that's definitely, you know, against the general (laughs) commandments, of course, is thou shall not kill, but um, even something as extreme as that, that was sanctioned by God. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's just one thing that I liked to, to kind of bring up when I can is people's personal revelation might look different than you expect it, but that doesn't mean that it's wrong. Um, and we see that throughout scripture and church history and Christ's own life all the time, that personal revelation that if you're connected with God doesn't always have this perfect little picture on the outside. Um, but back to the original question of my relationship with the church. Um, I, I think right now the the easiest way to say it for me is I want to stay in the church as long as the church wants me to stay in it. 
Um, and that can be that can be really difficult sometimes because um, I I love so many of the things that the church has brought to my life, um, and I I I hate that for so many people, both in and out of the church, um, you have to be one or the other LGBTQ or LDS. Um, and I've seen this, uh, like I've said, I've seen this on both sides, both with some LGBTQ friends who have been pretty harsh with my feeling that I want to stay in the church um, because they've felt very hurt by, by the church. And so they don't, they don't understand. They feel like I'm betraying myself. And then also some members of the church who are very, you know, um, limited, I guess, in their, in their scope of how you could possibly be both and that there is room for this nuance. Um, but I do, I like, they're both part of my identity and they both bring peace and comfort to my life and they both bring good things to me. Um, so I want to keep them both. Um, and I don't think that God would want me to choose between them, honestly. Um, that unfortunately, I think we have kind of a culturally, we have a tendency to, um, to the scripture, uh, they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me when it comes to the way we love our LGBTQ members of the church. I've met a lot of a lot of members of the church who will do really good lip service to loving everyone and oh yeah we love them and yada yada and go on, but then when it comes right down to it, that love is not felt um, quite often and it it can make it really challenging um, to stay somewhere where where you don't feel like you're loved or that you belong, where you know you're you're I mean even like for me if I'm dating a guy. And, you know, I, my ideals of who I want to date are the same for a guy as a girl. I want to date someone who is strong in the church and someone who, you know, like we get along with. And I, I, I actually saw this the other day. I have a, had a note on my phone from like four years ago that said what I want in a girlfriend. And as I ran down the list, I was like, I could change all these pronouns. And these are the same things that I would want in a boyfriend. And one of those things would definitely be someone that I could stay active in the church with and be supported in that. And it's very, it's very disheartening that I would feel so much shame and anxiety if I were to bring a guy to church and say, you know, sit down and someone's like, oh, like, nice to meet you. Who is this? And I, I, I don't, I wouldn't know what to say. Like, do I say this is my boyfriend? Do I say this is my friend? This is my, whatever. Like, this is someone investigating, like that. You can't just say, this is my boyfriend the way you say, this is my girlfriend. Um, and I understand why a lot of people maybe are uncomfortable or have hangups or whatever, but um, it, I really want to stay in the church. And unfortunately, sometimes it's, it's, it's challenging. That's an honest answer. And I've, you know, I've learned that most of what we say about LGBTQ people is about them versus directly to them as needed members. And we talk about them sometimes in a third person, if that's the right term, you're an English major. And yeah kind of this other group of people that's an outside threat to our family and our church. But I think we can mature to talk about LGBTQ people as our people, our, they're, you know, our family, our friends, members of our congregation. And I think that's a verse. And I love your idea. They draw near to me and they're, I, what near to me, and they're, but their With hearts their are lips, but their hearts are far from me. Pretty powerful application of that scripture. No one's ever done that on the podcast. And we do say we love everybody, but I think, when I say, Lord, is it I, then I have to look inward and I'm still working to say, what does that look like in the, in the context of LGBTQ Latter-day Saints? And if TJ comes to my ward, introduces his boyfriend to me, um, how am I going to respond to that? Mm-hmm. Um, I've always felt at the congregation, everybody should feel welcome because that's what Christ seemed to do in every circle he was in. Everybody was welcome. There wasn't a belief or behavior hurdle. I've always felt we have this belief in behavioral hurdle or the narrowing of the gate at the temple um, where we do have sort of a narrowing of the gate. Sure. <laughs> but a lot of people I talk to just want to feel welcome in the congregation and not feel like they're going to go to church and have anxiety about how they're going to be treated if they're LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. And then if they're in a same-sex partnership, they kind of recognize that the temple's off the table. They kind of know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably, you know, callings that are spiritual in nature, senior callings in the word are kind of off the table. They just want to feel welcome. Yeah. Because it's their spiritual home and they want to 
you know, be a part of that experience. And I think we should do what Christ did is help everybody feel welcome. But we need to, I, I need to do that and say, Lord, is it I? You know, am, am I part of the reason somebody doesn't feel welcome in my congregation? And that's why I'm glad people listen to these podcasts because it helps me. More thoughts on this? Yeah, um, I think, uh, unfortunately, I tried to have an internet conversation and that just didn't, never goes well. Um, but uh, I was trying to, to have this comment with someone who, you know, they put a comment on, on um, I won't go into specifics, but basically it was kind of the same idea of like, oh no, we do love them and we do accept them. But if they're acting on it, yada, yada, then blah, blah, blah. They're pushing themselves from God and we can't accept sin or whatever else. And I, I actually pointed them to your podcast and I said, I would invite you to just listen to some of these stories of people because I think you'd be surprised at, at how many LGBTQ people, you know, you're saying you love us, but we really don't feel it a lot of the time. And it, the response back was like, well, you know, everyone feels exiled or out excluded sometimes. And are we choosing to be offended? And kind of those same answers that you hear. And I started getting really, really heated and I had to not comment because I was just like, it wasn't going to go any, it wasn't going to go in a positive direction, but what I wanted to say. And so now I'll say it to all the listeners was we can learn a lot. I think just from, um, statistics, basically, like you, you can just look at the numbers, right? We, um, we've talked about how five, about 5% of the general population is LDS now. And if you take or LGBTQ, or, yeah, of LGBTQ. And if you take, it's going to be 5% LDS sometime. <laughs> 5% are LGBTQ. And if you take the general LDS population, do the math, that should be around 800,000 LGBTQ members of the church. And that's like a lot, right? But then I, I started doing some math for myself and there's roughly 30,000 words and branches, which means that with that math, there should be on average 26 LGBTQ members of each word or branch. And I don't know if you've looked around at a word or branch lately, but there are definitely not 26 LGBTQ members of the word or branch. Um, and whether that's because it's someone who's very closeted, who isn't coming out or whatever, I would say in most of the words that I've been in, there are one to zero open LGBTQ members. Um, it's changed a bit in the past like year or two, even actually as even, but just in singles words, I've noticed it changing. I don't, I don't see it as much in family words, but statistically, if we should have on average 26 LGBTQ members of our words and branches, and we have one like at best, what is, if, if we're losing 25 out of 26 of any group, we have to look at what are we doing? What are we saying? What are, what are our behaviors or whatever? What's going on that's making 25 to 26 of these people leave? And we can't just say they're choosing to be offended. Like if 25 out of 26, like redheads left the church, like we, it, it would be this huge deal. And we would be thinking, what are we saying that's making these people leave? Um, but for some reason, because it's LGBTQ people, as opposed to anything else that you might be born with, whether that's hair color or handedness or whatever, the LGBTQ has this stigma of the sin attached to it. So it's like we're okay with losing 25 out of 26 LGBTQ people in the church because, well, they're sinning and, well, they, they want to go live in this life of debauchery and whatever else. But we really, really can't delude ourselves to thinking that we're doing a great job at loving a population if we're losing 95% of that population. I agree with that. And I think I'm a marketing guy. So we do, you know, that word association. And um, I think a lot of people when somebody comes out or they hear their LGBTQ, they think law of chastity, they think of sin, they think of proclamation to the family. And that's all okay. I invite everybody not to sin. I invite everybody to follow the proclamation of the family. I believe in that. But I think the word association often adds to your burden as if you just are bravely identify as LGBTQ. And I, the first thing that keeps to, comes to my mind, are you acting on it? To me, that is not part of where I need to be with my heart and prevents me from sort of mourning, bearing, and comfort. And the things that you need from me as a fellow Latter-day Saint versus reminders to keep the commandments. I think of 
Oh, I never thought that came to my head. It just went out by the other side of my head. But, <laughs> um, oh, back to word association. I hope we could, when someone thinks of LGBTQ, they think instead of those things I just listed, they think a choice, you know, son or daughter of heavenly parents who is loved. Somebody who's been walking a really difficult road may have been suicidal, may be suicidal now and needs our love. Someone who can contribute to our church and our community in unique ways that we need right now to bring us together as the body of Christ that Paul talks about in, in second and 12th Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. I get confused sometimes. <laughs> I think it's 12 Corinthians. 12th Corinthians? That doesn't sound right. Um, so I just invite us to improve our word association and sort of what comes to our mind first when someone is LGBTQ. Everybody's a sinner. Everybody that walks into an LDS congregation, including me, is working on keeping all the commandments. Some of it's just more private than others. And I just think we've got to create a way that people feel welcome. Anything to add to that? Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's exactly spot on. I As LDS people with the knowledge of the plan of salvation that we have, we should be the most open-hearted, Christ-like, loving, non-judgmental people on the planet. Like knowing everything we know about baptism for the dead and the three kingdoms and like all, all of the details that we have of how much more hope there is in this plan than like the heaven and hell dichotomy, right? That we should be so much more open and loving and non-judgmental of people because of that. And like we, you know, we know God's whole work and glory is to bring to pass the immortality and the eternal life of man. Like he's gonna, he's gonna do literally everything possible. But we're not yet. I, I don't think. Um, I I don't think, unfortunately, I don't think we have the reputation of being the most open-hearted, non-judgmental, loving community, unfortunately. Um, and that personally, I think that's what Christ is really waiting for for the second coming. I I stopped thinking a long time ago, which I, what I used to think was that Christ, that the second coming was waiting for us to be more perfect, that the second coming is waiting for us to all be keeping the word of wisdom and the law of chastity and going to the temple and doing all of our checklist things more perfectly. And I no longer think that's the case because I don't think the people in the city of Enoch or the people in fourth Nephi or any of these other Christ-like communities that we talk about, I don't think any of them were at that perfect point yet. And even in the scriptures, what we talk about of being a Zion people is one heart and one mind, right? I, this, the last days are going to be hard. They're going to be rough. And the stakes of Zion are meant to be a shelter, a refuge from the storm. Or like you talk about the balm of Gilead, right? That until we get to that point where every single person, no matter, you know, like the scriptures say also every nation, kindred, tongue, and people like LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus is a people. And until every nation, kindred, tongue, and people knows that they have a place in the LDS church where they can go and they can be safe and they can be loved and accepted and sheltered from the storm, we're not ready. We're not a Zion people. We're not ready for the second coming. And so that's what I think Christ is really waiting for is for us to, to learn how to love more openly and fully. Um, that brings a bunch of thoughts, but I don't want to get too much into my thoughts. I don't want to take from your time, but I did. I do believe in these narratives that are part of our church culture. One of the narratives is Satan is increasing his attacks. So I believe that, but I think I sort of think about that in different ways than perhaps I've culturally been taught that. I I don't disagree with anything I've culturally been taught, but I tweeted out a few days ago, one of the ways that Satan is increasing his attacks is the lie that our LGBTQ friends are not some of Heavenly Parents' choices children. And so I love some of the things you're saying is that, you know, we need to come together as the body of Christ before the second coming of Christ. And some of these things, I also think when we say the world is getting worse, when I hear talks like that in church, I don't disagree with that. But sometimes I I leave with the feeling that that narrative is sort of keeps me as from looking inward and it sort of puts everything on a, on an outside of me. And us versus them. Yeah, and it doesn't leave any opening to say, is, do I need to look inward to see how I need to improve? Because I'm just saying the world's getting worse. We need to hunker down in this 
you know, last days mentality versus kind of looking inward at times and saying, what do I need to do um, to address some of the issues and how can I help us come together as the body of Christ, which I've mentioned. So just some thoughts. Talk about, you can add on to that, but I also want to talk about why you would date men if you're bisexual, because obviously dating a woman, you know, there's a path to fully participate in the church, have a family, sort of that, I'm going back to your flight home from Benin, Mm -hmm. which I assume had a hope to marry a woman, have 2.5 kids, like it says in your post, and (laughs) now you're dating men. So just explain to our listeners more about your thought process there. Yeah. Um, This, this one took a really long time to get to, for sure. Because like I said, it, when you're by, there is that room to just say, oh, well, I'm just not going to listen to that side of my attraction. Um, which is unfortunately, I think where a lot of the unfortunate advice comes from of, oh, well, you're by, well, it's okay. Just choose a woman and then you'll be fine. And then it's all good. Um, dating girls has been, I didn't realize this until very recently as I started talking to people, I did not do great statistically with my dates with girls. Um, that like the, I know everyone goes on bad dates and some dates are good and some are bad, but I realized finally after talking to people about it, that like the number of dates I went on with girls where I came back from the date, having enjoyed myself and having liked the person and wanting to go on a second date was drastically lower than any of my straight friends. Right. And when I finally opened myself up to the possibility of dating guys, um, one thing I will say is that it greatly decreased um, some of the the sinful behavior that I was participating in that were the only outlets that I knew um, for my attraction. And once once I started going on dates with guys, it was just like, oh, this is this is why people like dating. Like, it's not supposed to be a chore. Um, so yeah, for me, it it kind of became a little bit of this, uh, I don't want to say a numbers game because I feel like that makes it a little bit too trite, but that I, I just came to the realization that I can keep forcing myself to date girls and have maybe, maybe one in 50 dates be someone that I actually am attracted to and that I like and that I connected with and that I want to go on a second date with. And I can, I can be burning myself out and going through all of the headache of 49 bad dates in a row for the possibility that maybe I'll find a girl who I am attracted to enough and who I love enough that I would feel comfortable with marrying. Because like I said earlier, I, I wouldn't do it just to have a girl that I'm married to. I, I wouldn't put her through that or me through that or potential kids through that. Um, or I can go on dates with guys and I can learn how to love myself better and I can learn how to love other people better and I can learn learn all of the wonderful, difficult, complicated things that you learn in a relationship. And you, you learn about, you know, sacrificing for the other person and you learn about holding your tongue and you learn about all the things that you can get from a relationship that you don't get when you're just by yourself. And I started thinking more and more that for me personally, and I know everyone has to come to their own revelation and and decision with this, that while I still think that marrying a woman would definitely be easier in a lot of ways, if I was able to find that one in a billion for me, who I was attracted to and loved in in all of those ways that I would want to, it would be a lot easier culturally for sure. But if, if the choice was between being alone for the rest of my life or being in a relationship with a guy, I think that being in a relationship with another guy would actually help me to become more Christ-like and more like Heavenly Father, because I would be learning those things that you only learn in a relationship, than I would by being alone, even though being alone, I would be keeping one extra commandment. Um, and I think that what the conversations that I've had in my prayers with Heavenly Father is that I, I need to become like him. And that's my whole point in being here. And no one gets to becoming like him with keeping all the commandments 100% perfectly. And for me, the commandment might be the law of chastity, but that I can get a whole lot closer to him with being with someone than being with no one. It's an honest answer. 
It's a unique answer because you have this door that's a little bit open to marrying a woman. Mm -hmm. If you were gay and you're clearly choosing between being alone the rest of your life or in a monogamous, committed, long-term relationship, I can certainly get that. I'd still, as my listeners know, invite you to follow church teachings, but I'd honor your path and and leave any judging to our Savior and His perfect understanding. But you do have this little door open. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the very, and I've, you've heard all these comments like, well, if that door's open, don't you believe God will lead you to that woman so that you can find her and make it all work? Um, with this part of you that could, that at times is attracted to a woman? Mm-hmm. Or do you feel like you've just exhausted that road, even though you're leaving that door a little bit open? How do you reconcile that? Because there's a side of me that wants to kind of sort of keep you in the, it's the natural side of me that would want to encourage you to explore this path of staying fully, you know, being able to fully participate in the church in the sense you could keep all your covenants. Absolutely. And that's, that, that is, I think probably the biggest drawback to being by um, is being in that space because I've had that same conversation with myself a lot. And that's, I, I don't know what I'm, what my future is going to be. Like I am, I've definitely not closed the door to marrying a woman. Um, but for a long time, it was the door to dating men was so tightly sealed shut and the door to finding a woman, if, if we're using this analogy, the door to finding a woman that I was going to marry and date was open, but just barely a crack. It, it's like I, I couldn't breathe. Like, it's like I was in this box and one door is sealed shut and the other one's just got a crack. And it's, it's just, it was kind of suffocating. Um, I, would, I would love it if I just ran into this perfect girl um, that, that I could marry and we could have a family and all that. Um, but in, in my, in my prayers and, and my conversations with Heavenly Father, I've, I've really felt like, I don't know if it's just for now or if there's something for me to learn from it or whatever, but that he was, and is really, is he's okay with me on this path of, of dating guys and, and seeing what this is like for me and, and figuring this out. And maybe, maybe it's kind of like Elder Holland's story that it's to take me down that path that I realize I don't want to be on. And then I, it helps me to know that the other path was the right one, or I don't know. Um, maybe it, it could be a thousand things. Like I, I've, I've gone through so many scenarios in my head of why this might be. But for me, it just comes back to the peace thing that I, I've, I've definitely not closed the door to dating girls for sure. And to finding a woman that I could marry. Cause I like, that's one thing I think about is like having kids. Like I, I would love to be able to have like biological kids with my wife. I would love that. But I, and, and I know, you know, if, if I end up with a guy, like, you know, you can do things with surrogacy or adoption and stuff. But um, that is one thing that I know that I would be giving up would be having a full biological child with the person that I love. And so I, I definitely am open for sure to Heavenly Father giving me this, this woman. Um, but for whatever reason, my path right now, I feel a lot of peace with, with dating guys. And I'm, I've always been a world-class overanalyzer and overthinker. So I've been trying to control that lately with just trusting my feelings a bit more um, and, and going with what I'm feeling to be right and to be true. And I've felt really good with dating guys recently. And I don't know where that's going to take me, but I, I was just really depressed, honestly, for a long time with how hard I was fighting to try to find a girl to date. Um, and never being able to find it. And so um, I found a lot of peace and a lot of happiness and a lot of answers about myself and about who I am um, in my experience with, even if it's not like exclusively dating a guy, but just going on a date. And even if it's just connecting with other LGBTQ guys, you know, just talking about our shared experiences and being able to talk about these things. I've, I've gained a lot from, from these experiences that, um, that I really believe have, have helped me grow closer to Heavenly Father than I was before. Thanks for taking on that tender question, TJ. And listeners, the way I process this, TJ's answer is I just trust him. Uh, you know, I just think it's our job to trust people. I mean, my general advice, if you were my son or my friend or in my ward, is to go slow. 
Mm-hmm. I think you're doing that. Sometimes when you open a door that's never been opened before that, you go pretty fast and make some decisions that you later regret. And I think you have the maturity and the, the emotional maturity, the spiritual maturity to go slow. So I don't really think you need that advice, but I think that's my general advice listeners is to go slow. Um, take God with you. Rely on personal revelation. Learn from, you know, learn from that experience. Don't necessarily, because you've opened that door, just like you said, that that's the for sure door for you. It may just be part of understanding your future. And I think I just trust you. And I don't, you know, my personal revelation doesn't give me the ability to judge your personal revelation. If I'm your bishop, you know, and you end up in a same-sex relationship, you know, that, you know, you know, you can't fully participate in the church, but I would certainly want you to feel welcome in our congregation. And I'd want to help you feel like you're a valued member of our congregation. Um, so that's the way I process that, listeners. It's complicated, but I think talking about it is better than not talking about it. I think Satan does win when he keeps all this in the closet and creates shame around these conversations. or Because I think TJ talking about his future helps him make better decisions. and and I. And let's talk about your family because I, my, what we talked about ahead of time, you've got a very supportive family. And I think if your family's aware of this road you're walking, I think you're more likely to make better decisions when you feel them kind of walking this road with you. Talk about your family, your relationship with your parents and your siblings, anything you want to talk about. Sure. Um, so I, I mean, yeah, like you said, my family has been really, really awesome. And I know that I'm really lucky because I've seen some, some close friends or just some stories I've heard diff- between different people of some not so supportive families, which has been really disheartening. And I just, am so lucky that, um, I came out to my family a long time before I came out publicly. Um, about two and a half years ago, um, I started telling people in my family and, um, not one of them, um, rejected me or pushed me away or anything like that. Um, I know there were, for some of them, it was a little bit harder than for others, right. Of, you know, of the changing of expectations of, you know, what might this mean for the future? What, what hopes and dreams do we have for TJ that maybe might not happen anymore? Um, so it was a bit of that, but I mean, like I can just tell you my mom specifically, she has been so, so great, um, to really, I just, I've admired so much the work that she's done to be able to, to open her mind and her heart to, to some new things. Um, and, listening to podcasts and reading books. And like, I, it feels like every week she's coming to me like, Oh yeah, I just read, I just read uh, Ben Chalati's book or I just read Charlie Bird's book, or Good. I was listening to listen, learn and love this week. And like just all Good. the time with stuff that was just that, that meant so much to me that she was taking her free time, the limited free time that moms have and that she was giving it to just trying to understand my situation better. Um, and, and my whole family has been, been like that. They've, they've been very supportive in listening to podcast episodes I recommend to them or in the ones I've done. And, um, they've, they've all made very, very clear to me that they're so supportive of me and, and whatever my path ends up being that, that they're going to be there for me and they're going to love me and that I'll never be excluded outside of the family, which is, I, I know a blessing that not everyone gets in my position. Um, if any of TJ's family's listening, you've done a great job. Tell me the first name of your mom. Leslie. Leslie, if you're listening, I hope this is a payday for you. You have an incredible son here. And I think as parents, we just pray that we'll have children that are responsible, that are faithful, that have a relationship with Heavenly Fire and are using um, what they have now to serve others. And I, your son is, you know, a lot of people in West Africa, they're in a better spot. A lot of people at BYU, USC, and now we're sharing this part about him and the work he's doing in a clinical therapist, you know, great job and great job. Just like you may be, you know, your son may be roughly the same age as my kids and you may be roughly my age, but I've certainly had to do the things you've had to do is just a hard drive reset and be willing to learn of things that I didn't understand 10 or 20 years ago. And I think that's part of um, growth and part of being able to um, better mourn, bear in comfort. So I think you're doing a great job as a family and that's a real tribute to your family. Anything more you'd like to say about your family? Well, I definitely need to 
give my dad a little shout out too. <laughs> Good because, dad. You know, my, my mom did such amazing work. Um, but I was actually a very unique case where I actually came out to my dad before my mom, um, where, which I've heard is not the norm. Why? Um, I don't know exactly why. Um, I think I... I had a feeling that he um, was maybe more warmed up to it because I have a gay uncle um, and he's married. Um, and so, I don't know, maybe it's just because my dad has a gay brother. And so that was kind of already in his sphere of influence. But um, yeah, I like, and I still have the picture in my head very clearly of when I came out to my dad. Um, and then it was, it was either that night or the very next day when it came out to my mom. So it wasn't a whole lot later, but I just knew I wanted to do them individually. Um, but my dad has also been like, so great and supportive, like from the very first conversation. Um, I know I've heard a lot of guys who have had to like kind of uh, go back and, and forgive some of the hurtful things that are said in the initial moment of coming out that, you know, is said without realizing that it's hurtful and that kind of thing. And my dad just did a really, really great job from, from the get-go. That's great. Um, I love your note here. You sent me, um, I feel freeing 100% um, lighter today after coming out yesterday. And I'm so excited I can more fully dive in and feel like a big part of my calling on earth is trying to help other LGBTQ members of the church. So talk to that group. I agree you're already doing that, this podcast, what you've done, but talk to other LGBTQ members of the church. What would you like them to hear? Um, that you're not alone first. Um, I mean, aside from the 5%, general statistic. I, I think I saw one that said that BYU specifically is 13% LGBTQ, which is a very big number, like over one in 10, like you're definitely not alone. Um, and that it's okay to be torn between these things. It's okay to be hurt by some of the things that have been said or by some of the policies or by what, like, it's okay to, to have those hard feelings. Like you don't, you don't have to love every single thing that every single church leader has ever said. That's all right. That they're learning and growing too, and we're learning and growing together. And there is, I, I do think I feel like I see light on the horizon as far as having more space for LGBTQ members of the church to, to remain in the church, that you don't have to give up both or one or the other. Like there's, there's, one of the analogies that I think I actually messaged about you about one of the first conversations we had was about the, uh, the square pegs in round holes. And, um, I, while I would love it, if there was a square hole for me as a square peg, um, I understand that comes to like church, you know, policies and stuff that, you know, we don't always get to, to pick and choose, but that I think the round holes can just be larger to fit these square pegs. Because a round hole, you know, we, there might not be a perfect fit, right? There might be some, maybe some temple blessings that you, you don't get to participate in fully, or, you know, maybe there's challenges with, you know, I, like I've had with coming out to, to one Bishop and telling him that I was dating guys and he was okay with me being second counselor in the elders quorum. And then the next Bishop I came out to and told that I was dating guys, um, didn't want me, uh, participating in blessing the sacrament. So like there's, I know there's so many challenging things of, of, you know, fears and concerns and anxieties, but I, you're not alone and there is, there is room for you. And that's what I'm trying to remind myself to. I'm, I definitely don't want to come across that. Like I've figured out where I'm going to be with anything five years from now, whether it's my relationships, whether it be with guys or girls, like I said, I want to stay in the church, but you just really never know. So I don't want to pretend like I figured out I am in the middle of this path, but we can all walk it together. That's great. Um, just a thought came to my mind. It's back to sort of opening this door. Um, it, it, sometimes in the parent group that I'm in with LGBTQ kids, their kids open that door first time for same-sex dating, and they just kind of un, they just kind of lose boundaries, and they start you know drinking and smoking and doing pot and having multiple partners and. Not that you need this advice, but it's just, it's back to this go slow. If you feel you start the same-sex dating, it doesn't mean you have to walk away from everything that you hold dear and near, that it's helped you become the person that you are today. That's back to the nuance. Um, I'd invite you to keep every covenant, commandment, 
teaching good principle you've had and not just sort of go from one ex, one world to another world. And I think it's one of the things TJ is teaching us here is that you can be LGBTQ and LDS and you don't have to fully adopt, you know, I don't want to brand the LGBT community in one way, but you could just do this the way you feel is right for you. You don't sort of have to look to a group of people to tell you how to do this. I think you can look to individual stories and your, and the personal relationship. And I think the most power, one of the most powerful things that TJ's taught us is the word peace. And I think you have to feel at the end of the day is if you open that door, do you feel more peace? And as you're going along that path, where are you finding peace? And if you've engaged in a behavior that hasn't brought you peace, then just look at that as a learning experience and withdraw from that behavior. But I think Satan sort of, once you engage in inappropriate behavior, he may, and you recognize it's not something you want to do, but you feel you've gone too far or now you've, that's where he wins. So I just think disengage from that behavior, find the peace you're looking for, and just look at it as a learning experience versus your future is forever changed or your heavenly parents no longer love you. So that's me um, sharing some advice. <laughs> I'm just going to turn it back to you, um, TJ, for any other comments, any other things you'd like to share, anything, just anything in your mind. Um, yeah, one thing that's been on my mind actually the last week or two um, since the uh, the why was lit up in the rainbow colors, which um, I got to tell you was so, so awesome to see, even though I know that BYU sent out their, that it wasn't approved by them or whatever. It was, it was still an awesome site. Um, I agree. I, yeah. Oh, it was so great. I, although in some of the, the backlash of that, like I saw, I saw some of the, the social media posts of some of the counter movement or whatever of people carrying umbrellas on BYU campus and some people being really upset with the why being lit up that it was vandalism, which like it was just flashlights. So it wasn't vandalism, but just a lot of people really, really fired up by the use of the rainbow symbol in any way. And I, I think there has been an unfair association of the rainbow symbol with, um, I, I don't know, just like, like everything counter to the LDS church is the rainbow symbol, right? And that's not the case. Um, that it's, I think, unfortunately, in some people's minds, it's, it's been associated with, with, you know, like a very different lifestyle, but that's not what the rainbow flag is. And so I just want to touch on that really quickly, that all it is, if you have a rainbow flag outside your door, that does not mean that you have to be going out to to gay nightclubs and drinking and smoking and doing drugs and having multiple partners or whatever else, like some of the more uh, old school thinking around that might have been. Um, literally all it means is that you are a safe and loving place and a safe and loving person for anyone to come and talk to. And I mean, like you've mentioned that as you started um, being, when you were a bishop and you, you know, started being uh, more, uh, you know, talking about LGBTQ people that more just general people not in that space wanted to felt safe talking to you too. And I think that's such an important thing that I, I really, really believe that if, if during Christ's day, they had the social awareness or whatever else of having symbols to represent groups of people, right? Like if there were, uh, I don't know if there were like a, a pin to represent being a leper or being a Samaritan or being a sinner in general, um, being a publican, being whatever, Christ would have been wearing all of the pins. Like he would have been wearing every single one of them um, because he, all they mean is that you're loving someone and supporting them and you care about them and that you're okay with being with them and going to dinner with them and talking with them and welcoming them in your home. And those are all things that Christ taught us so many times that he did over and over and over again, which is why I think that if Christ were alive today, he would absolutely sport a rainbow flag because it doesn't have to mean that you are rejecting the family proclamation or destroying the family or the church or whatever else. It just means that you love that group of people and that you want them to feel loved and that you're someone that they can turn to in their time of need. And that's everything Christ taught us. Love that. So well said. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners and give our listeners 
just your social media, give your Instagram account, any other ways you want um, for our listeners to be able to connect with you. Sure. Um, let's see, anything else? Um, I think the last thing that I would want to share is just about the pain of rejection and exclusion that the LGBTQ population in the church faces so regularly. One of the uh, kind of realizations, like I said, I've had a lot, a lot more personal revelatory experiences since accepting this part of myself than I ever did before. And one of them that I came to was the scripture that says that Christ suffered the pains and afflictions of all kinds, according to the flesh. Um, I remember for a long time, I would feel like guilty about repenting because I was like, oh, I'm adding to that pain and affliction that he suffered. Right. And like, we know that that's not the case. We know that it was infinite and you, you can't really add to infinite, but along those lines, like if we are thinking, you know, and we're, if we're trying to avoid sin because we're trying to not add to Christ's suffering or whatever else, if that's our mindset, Christ suffered the pains and afflictions of all kinds. And I know, I know that one of those pains and afflictions that he suffered was someone crying themselves to sleep every night because their family has rejected them. Someone who is in deep depression and suicidal because their friends don't talk to them because they don't feel accepted at church because people have, are t- saying terrible things about them just because of the way they were born. That I know that Christ's suffering in Gethsemane included those pains as well. And if, if we want to go down the road of talking about avoiding adding to Christ's burden, one of the ways you can do that is doing everything you can to avoid being the reason why someone is crying in their room at night. And crying themselves to sleep because someone doesn't, because their family doesn't love them anymore, or their friends have rejected them, or whatever else. Because that is a real, real thing that happens all the time. And if we can, if we could just eliminate that one kind of suffering from the world, which would be such an easy thing to do by just loving people more, that would be, I think, one of the greatest gifts that we could give to Christ. I love that, and I think for those of you that hold the priesthood that are male and. And LDS, I think we have this phrase in the church, honor my priesthood. And I like that phrase, but I kind of like to hear these phrases and say, so what do I do? Mm-hmm. And to me, I do just what TJ said, if I'm a priesthood holder. And we can all do that, whether we hold the priesthood or not. It's the, it's the way we honor our baptism covenants is to make it actionable like the things that TJ just said so beautifully. And, and we need to do that. Uh, it, just give us your social media, your Instagram, and any other accounts to link so people can find you. Sure, yeah. Um, my my Facebook is private, so sorry I don't add everyone who has me on there. But that's Instagram, just you can, fine. You can absolutely follow me at TJ Counseling. Um, that's where I do most of my mental health stuff, and there will certainly be um, there's a lot that I do on there with just general mental health of all kinds. But definitely um, a lot of good content too for specifically LGBTQ mental health is going to be a big focus of my of my work. And I wish you could all see this picture when um, TJ had his coming out post. It's TJ, big smile. The t-shirt is, we are all human. Mm-hmm. And you've got a picture of which temple in the background? Uh, that is the Ochre Mountain Temple. That is, that is the Ochre Mountain Temple, I can tell now. So TJ Thomas, you have a great life ahead of you. And you are mature and thoughtful and and have some wonderful things you've shared with our listeners, things that I've never heard before. That's even after 300 podcasts, we continue to have people that share unique stories and unique insights. And I'm grateful for people like TJ that come forward and share their stories. So on behalf of TJ and Richard Osler, this is, we're signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. 